Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Working Experience. This episode is brought to you by an app that I created called Still Believe. Still Believe transforms a picture in your home into video proof of your child's favorite magical characters. With the app, parents can catch the magic of the tooth fairy leaving money under their child's pillow or Santa delivering presents on Christmas Eve in their home. You download the app, take a picture, and we create the magic. We utilize feature film visual effects artists to transform your picture into video. You can tell your kids that you have a special app that can detect and capture the Tooth Fairy and Santa and then present them with the video proof in the morning. The look on their faces is priceless. Your Still Believe video is created in minutes and you can then save it to your phone and share on social media. The Still Believe app is available for the iPhone and Android and it's free to download. Our aim is to bring joy and wonder into the hearts of children around the world. Check it out at stillbelieve.co. This episode is also brought to you by my digital media agency, One Circle Media. One Circle creates content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms, servicing networks, studios, brands, and Fortune 500 clients. Check out our work at onecircledigital.com and onecirclebrand.com. If you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john, J-O-H-N, at onecirclemedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoy this episode of The Working Experience. On today's podcast, I had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Eric Frazier, author of The Psychology of Top Talent. It's a great book on how to identify, hire, and develop high performers for your company, corporation, or organization. It was a great conversation. Uh, The book is really applicable to everyone, uh, not just uh, top performance on how to improve yourself uh, mentally through uh, meditation, health, eating right, and exercise, and setting goals and dreams. Um, it's, so it's not only to identify top talent, but it's also to uh, improve yourself. Uh, I had a fun time talking with Eric, and I hope you enjoy it. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. Y'all need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? And HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. Need to stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was flipping his toenails at his desk. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience. I have the pleasure today to, to sit down with Dr. Eric Frazier, the author of The Psychology of Top Talent. I read his book. It was quite enjoyable. Um, a lot of uh, lessons that have uh, kind of spanned through time. Uh, so bring up stoic philosophy and you know great uh, uh, health habits. Um, so, uh, is it all right if I call you Eric as opposed to, okay, great. So Eric, if you could, um, just give our listeners a short bio and, um, and then at the end of that, if you could just tell us what what, the inspiration for the book. Yeah, that's, that's great intro, John. Uh, thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it. 
You know, I'm going to start the bio in a maybe in an unusual place, but you know, my my bio and my interest really, I think, come out of an enjoyment and a passion for the outdoors. Anybody who knows me knows that that is my my passionate hobby, and and it folds into a lot of the other experiences in my life, both personally and professionally, which uh, I'm sure we'll get into some uh, mountaineering adventures and ice climbing endeavors. But, you know, it really is, you know, from a a psychological standpoint, I think a curiosity. So my own self-reflection is that, you know, my my bio is, you know, I'm a curious person and I'm curious about other people and what makes them think and feel and behave the way that they do. And, And now as a professional, you know, the arc is how can I help them have better perspective taking within themselves to reach their own potential, right? So I passed, you know, so, you know, in somewhat chronological order, you know, that's my sort of backstory with curiosity and the outdoors. And that curiosity led to an interest in psychology, which then was, you know, manifested in obviously all of my studies that took me to Fordham University and then to a graduate program in Florida where I looked at forensic psychology and specialized in that and more specifically psychological assessment. So rather than going a traditional path and becoming a psychotherapist, I really focused on assessment um, kinds of issues and really being able to understand the facets of people's personalities and their behaviors and those patterns, right? And then looking at predictability um, in different kinds of scenarios. And, um, and then wrapped up um, my studies up in New Haven at, at Yale Medical School and continue to be part-time faculty there. And, you know, what I really enjoy about that is, you know, really being having access to the think tank and, you know, being able to sort of continue to pursue intellectual thinking and, and breaking that down into digestible spoon size, action steps, habits, breakthroughs that people can use in a meaningful way in their life. Excellent, Eric. And I uh, also attended Fordham University, uh, and we were we were there at the same time, weren't we? It was it was ninety two to ninety six, and you you were there at a similar time, right? Right. Yeah, I wrapped up in ninety four, and yeah, we just never uh, never crossed paths. You weren't there. Yeah, you, you were part. you were a bit older than me. And then we also um, we also met. This was a long time ago. We've been is it over 10 years ago when we, when we came to you, when you were um, a forensic uh, child, uh, what was the term that you? Yeah. So for forensic uh, custody evaluator, psychological evaluator involved in the court systems. And really, you know, really the, the header topic was divorce, right? Right. So we were pitching a, a reality TV show, kind of like a docu-series called Shattered that focused on um, high conflict divorce uh, and that some of it was, it was fascinating. It never got picked up. Uh, I think it was because it was, it was such a downer, you know, it was, you wouldn't believe the stories of the um, just brutality, uh, especially when children were involved of how, a husband and wife or ex-husband and wife would treat each other just out of pure spite. Like to, to the point of, I can't remember some of the stories, but I think, I think one of them was there was a, a couple who got divorced and the husband had visitation rights over the weekend. And so he shows up at like 4.30 a.m. at the 
at the house to rip the kids out of bed because he wants his time. Doesn't matter if the kid's sleeping, he's, he doesn't want to be gypped out of his X amount of hours over the weekend. And that, that's one of the more mild ones, right? Right, right, yeah. The 50-50 uh, the mindset back then, you know, you, you can't split a kid in half and 4.30 in the morning was 50% that day. And yeah, people, people get stuck in, in that. It's, uh, you know, divorce is a hard thing for, for people to have, you know, objectivity with and obviously put kids first, right? And that, that was one of, you know, many examples. Fortunately, most aren't like that, but, you know, they're out there. Right. It was it was the the worst cases. So this is not this is not across the board, though. I mean, there's always contention and divorce and stuff. But the, these were like the worst of the worst. Anyway, so um, so I read the book. I loved it. Um, there is and there's a there's a ton of stuff that we can go over. But there what was really interesting for me was, um, you know, so it the focus is on the psychology of top talent. So if someone wanted to pull in uh, top talent into their organization is how would you identify that person? Is, is that correct? Right. Right. And, it, and if you're already a top talent person, you know, how do you optimize yourself, right? How do you continually fine tune and, you know, sustain your peak performance? And, and, um, but I also found that it's good for, um, you know, our listeners to, to go out there and buy the book because there are, uh, there's advice in there to really kind of, I hate to use the term optimize your life, but, um, there is in terms of, you know, uh, healthy eating, um, exercise, uh, you know, engaging your mind, um, hobbies, and just basically, you know, setting up, challenges and then overcoming challenges on a daily basis. And I think that, and, and also the consistency involved in that and the perseverance involved in that. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of people are, are kind of missing out. And I think that the, you know, the notion or the prevailing cultural story is, oh, I don't want to go out and run. I don't want to work. I don't want to eat right. It's, it's too much there's too much work involved or the, the obstacle is too large to surmount. But there is, uh, the irony is it, it literally makes you feel better, right? So it's like if, if you could create a pill, like if your book was a pill and you could give it to someone, you would be a trillionaire, right? Because it, and, and that's what it's, you tell this to people. And it, the other thing too, is it's not immediate, right? It's not immediate like a pill. Like if you're going to run, if that's your goal and you want to run a marathon, you're going to have to train nine months in advance, six months in advance. I mean, you could go out and run a marathon, but you wouldn't, it wouldn't be, uh, uh, you'd feel terrible afterwards. Um, but for me, that's what I, I mean, that's what I took out of the book. I mean, obviously um, it has an extreme amount of value for an HR manager or uh, a, you know, COO or a CEO of an organization pulling in that top talent to build that team. But I also felt like the book serves the general public. There, there's a lot of lessons in it and from all our interviews to date on this podcast. There are certain, there's certain advice and certain themes that are, are reoccurring in multiple 
authors, professors, uh, you know, fill in the blank. And, you know, so I, I think that I, that's what I took away from the book. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing um, spot on overview. And, you know, my approach to this topic, this subject matter is, is really research based. It's um, that's really where I come from professionally. This isn't, you know, what's my hunch about how to do better at this or how to do better at that? What are my instincts, you know, or theories? It's, it's really not theory driven or instinct driven. These are, you know, research driven metrics behind these topics. And I really wanted to put something out there that people could use and apply, right? And as you pointed out, you know, there's, there's different domains, right? There's health, there's physical wellness, there's emotional intelligence, there's continuous learning, right? There's play, you know, all of these things. And nobody can be good. I don't care who you are. Nobody can be good at all of those things all the time, right? That's just, an, right. it's an impossible objective. Yet we're, you know, somewhat aware of, you know, um, of these areas of personal and professional development. So the, the goal of the book was to really make it into bite-sized topics with bite-sized actionable steps. And I threw a, deliberately put a lot of downloads into the book so people could pick a chapter that resonates with them, drop a download, and do an activity, right? Like do a, a brainstorming and really think about what's missing in terms of developing deliberate practice, what's missing in terms of developing grit, what's missing in terms of wellness. And then, you know, the real you know, the real magic pill to use your metaphor behind this is with all of these things, the key solution is to create a habit. It's really a book about habit making because you could take any one of the topics or chapters, grit, you know, um, continuous learning, deep customer appreciation, you know, healthier eating, whatever it is. Anybody could do it for a day or for a meal or, or for an afternoon session, right? But it's really about the continuous habit piece. So, you know, the structure of this book to make it a usable tool is really to engage in the habits and to develop a schedule and a routine. Now, to close out sort of the conversation on, on, on just that piece, you know, people have great intentions, they write down goals, they write down objectives, but then the last step is what I have found that people miss out on, which is putting it in the calendar, right? We book telephone calls, interviews, you name it, you know, dentist appointments, doctor's appointments, everything goes in a calendar, but a lot of these things don't make it in there, right? Does, med does 15 minutes of meditation make it into a calendar? Does 20 minutes of rest and relaxation and, and play make it into a calendar? I keep bringing up play because there was a recent study that pointed out how paradoxically, right, spending time playing, right, fidgeting around with things, solving complex problems, playing with Legos like they do at Google, these are things that open up creativity, right? And why does that matter? Because creativity is the gateway to problem solving, right? And in a knowledge economy, right. we're all problem solvers, right? So the paradox is if you take 30 minutes to play and the historical excuse is, I don't have time for that. That's nonsense. That's silly. You know, my schedule, I'm, I'm booked 70 hours out. You know, the paradox is if you play for 15 minutes, um, with some kind of you know puzzle or mind game or or you name it, you have the, the the headspace at that point in time to come back and tackle the problem, maybe in thirty minutes instead of three days. Right. What what would 
be considered as a waste of time or, or silly is, um, you know, is, is in fact the direct opposite of that. And I find it, you know, from in my, um, you know, I own a media company, a media agency, so it's, um, it's, very, it's very creative. We're working on ideas, pitching ideas for, for scripts, for, you know, you name it. And my best ideas will not come to me when I'm responding to email or in a meeting. It's when I'm going out for a run or a walk or I might be playing with my sons outside and then something that I've been grappling with for the past couple of days, all of a sudden it pops into my head. And now I'm like a, I'm like a crazy professor. I like carry around. <laughs> Uh, I used to just do it on my iPhone. I still do it. I still do like audio notes on my iPhone, but I'll carry around a pad and paper, like all at work, at home. I keep it next to my, my bed at night. This is the other thing is I would go to sleep and an idea will come to me sometimes in the middle of the night. I'll get up, I'll write it down, go back to sleep. Or as soon as I get up in the morning, you know, you get up, you're laying in bed and then that inner voice starts going. So... I could have thought about a problem right before I went to sleep and then it came to me and then I'm going to, I'm going to write it down. Whereas before I would just let it go. Um, and also just going back to what you're saying is very beneficial is that there, these are, this is science-based advice. This is based on studies. This is not just like, Hey, uh, you know, I like to eat eggs or, you know, I, I like to meditate and, you know, you know, specifically for in meditation is, Something that I used to dismiss and write off. I was like, ah, oh, meditation, that's ridiculous. Like, why, why would, you, would you do it? First of all, I thought it was easy, right? It's not easy. Just go into, go into a room. If you've never meditated before, go into a room for 10 minutes and close your eyes. The amount of thoughts, your brain will, <laughs> will bombard you with everything that you did prior to that or you're going to do in the future. It's all, it'll just be a ticker tape, just boom, 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 boom. And it is, you know, it, it takes years of practice and decades of practice to, it's almost impossible to quiet the mind. You just have to observe that the thoughts are coming. And then at least you're the kind of the director of that experience. You can, I think I read an article that like, a Buddhist monk that's been meditating for decades could basically shut his brain down for 90 seconds. It's probably the best, the best that he could do. But anyway, so going back to daily routines, in your book, you put down, and I thought this was also very, very beneficial, beneficial and helpful, that you put down your daily routine. And it really encompasses, um, you know, the... Everything about you, right? So it's just, it's your health, it's your body, and it's your mind. So health is, you know, what you eat, you know, when you eat it, your body, you exercise uh, when you get up, um, and then your mind is you'll, you'll meditate, where is it, is it two times a day at 10 minutes, uh, one in the morning, one at night? Always one in the morning, and then the, the second one later in the day is, is an opt-in, yeah. And so... And, and also um, talking about, you mentioned that not putting it in your calendar, this is the difficulty of actually starting that routine. And that, the example that you used in your book that 
you know, 50% of gym memberships. You know, it's like New Year's resolution. I'm going to go out to the gym and then by February 15th, you know, half the gym is gone. What, and so let's talk about that, um, that consistency, that perseverance. Are there any, I don't want to use the word tricks, um, but what have you found? Is it, is it the process of putting it in the calendar so you see it there and that kind of like, you know, it, it, that's ingrained into your consciousness. Like, wh- what are some what are some ways to like overcome that? Yeah, I want to try to wrap all these things into one topic. Um, the, the trick is, you know, initially with the, what we're talking about is habit formation, right? And the trick is like you really have to to prop up different um, aspects of scaffolding to help you acquire a new habit, right? So your first day, you're going to make it to the gym. Your second day, you're going to make it to the gym. The third day, something's going to happen, right? A meeting's going to get changed or you got to pick up a kid from school or whatever, right? And then the fourth day, because you missed the third day, the mind comes up with another rationalization. So, you know, the key to these these habits, whatever whatever that they are is, yes, you absolutely have to schedule it in because you know, look, we're on our devices all the time. Okay. So that's, that's number one. So, you know, if it's on your device, you're going to see it, you're going to be prompted. I put on alerts, you know, on all my appointments again, because we're constantly distracted. So it gets to an attention issue, right? We're, we're in a, in, in the present day, constantly distracted. We, we really suffer from, you know, attention deprivation. So having an alert, having it on a calendar puts it there as a cue. And, and the cool thing is, you can kind of prompt yourself, and a prompt is really from behavioral psychology a reinforcer, right? So if you set two alarms to go to the, the gym or the yoga studio or the swimming pool or to go outside for a walk or to meditate or whatever, you know, at five o'clock in the morning or six in the morning or six at night or eight at night, you know, you could set the first one maybe 12 hours ahead of time, right? There's your, there's your reinforcer like, hey, this is important to me. This matters. You know, I want to do this. And then send it, set another one. 30 minutes before, right? So whatever it is that's happening 30 minutes or 60 minutes before, you're again reinforced for remembering this endeavor, this action, this new habit that matters to you. So having it there is, is, is you know, a bit of a safety net. You know, another thing that I like doing, particularly in, particularly in organizations, is, you know, buddying up, like going back to the old buddy system, right? And I do this once a week. I'll, I'll meet up with, with a guy and we'll go running outside and, and it's just kind of a piece of accountability, right? And it's, and it's not that neither of us would necessarily not go running that day, but it, it changes it up. Um, and, you know, it offers that social interaction, so there's a lot of fringe benefits to it. So if there's a way to, you know, include a buddy in any of these habits, whether it's physical activity, whether it's learning, you know, and let me digress for a second. So if you're interested in a particular subject matter, you know, um, and you're and and you you've picked something to learn about, like reading a book or listening to a podcast or getting an industry article um, and or a TED talk, right? And then saying, okay, let's both you know commit to learning about how to be a better listener. Okay, better listening is going to help each of us respectively in our careers. Then let's get together, have lunch, have a have a coffee, whatever it is, and let's talk about what we each learned, right? And then you have that not just um, learning experience, but you also teach it. And by teaching it, you learn 
what you actually, it's like meta learning. And then you have the reciprocity where you learn from the other person. So it, it folds in, but it's these kinds of like practical, um, applications of the habit that make it stick. It gives a stickiness to it. Back to your point, you know, with the meditation and, and, and with the writing, you know, those are two habits that are, you know, proven beyond, you know, beyond the the necessary to, to describe the studies. But as hard as it may be to, in the, in the way that you described it, like become a professional meditator, the benefits are really simple just in terms of taking seven breaths, right? And the benefit, the immediate benefit is you just calm the physiology down. When you calm the physiology down of your body, you calm the mind. When you calm the mind, you create alertness and attention. It's as simple as that. So meaning, like you can immediately, like you can guaranteed immediately diminish the distraction going on in your mind. And as you put it, it's really just observing the chit-chat, right? But when you observe the chit-chat, you, you are no longer the chit-chat. That's, that's kind of the magic of meditation. And there's no, you know, you don't need to know any special technique. You don't need to have a magic word, a mantra, anything like that. It's really just breathing. You can take it as far as you want to go. I want to give a plug out to um, this app that, that really makes it so, so simple. It's free. I have no, uh, I don't get any compensation for this. It's called Insight Timer. Um, they've got m millions of users on it. And it's really cool because you can literally set it to whatever you want to try out. So if you want to try one minute of meditation, you know, you can just do that. You just tap, click, one minute, just breathe, relax, and, you know, make that a new habit. The journaling piece, I think, is huge, right? Because when you're in that state of mind, you're, you're moving, you're shifting your consciousness. You're shifting it from distraction to observing distraction. And that's what opens up creativity. That's, that's what matters. And, and having that journal near, nearby, whether it's you know, pen and paper or digital, is inconsequential. But that's the opportunity where that creative mind comes out and you're able to put it down. And I do this all the time. A friend of mine recommended to me journaling five years ago. And, and admittedly, my first reaction was like, journaling is a thing that like girls do in third grade, you know, about the boys. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But um, when I've gone back, it, it's amazing some of the insights that I've seen, like things that I noticed three years before that came to fruition three years afterwards and trends and observations about, you know, all different things. So it's, again, that's like another great habit. And it doesn't have to be something you do every single day. It could be something you do once a week, once a month. You take inventory of, you know, you, where you're at, where you're going, what you want to become, you know, and, it, and it, it all ties together together beautifully. And when you do that, then you have a new set of routines, you know, I think meditation has gotten, um, it's much more culturally acceptable now. Uh, prior to this, it was this, you know, spiritual, like, you know, rah-rah stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it, but it's, it's crazy because I do the same thing. I do 10 minutes in the morning and I do 10 minutes later in the day. It's 20 minutes. It, it, that's it. And I just sit in a, in a quiet room. I usually do it as soon as I get up in the morning. And then either on my, my train ride home commuting or I'll do it later at night before I go to sleep. And there is, you know, it's that inner, we all have that inner voice. We're having a conversation with ourselves in our waking hours. Just And that conversation could be negative. You could be, you know, absolutely crapping on yourself or, and, and, and it's, that voice is, has an impact on how you carry yourself in the real world. 
So meditation helps you, first of all, understand that. You understand that this conversation is going on and that, you know, maybe it's not such a, a, a great thing for you to constantly berate yourself. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It's like you just, we're all going through this, this life process, you know, and, you know, on the surface, and this was a point in your book, which was very interesting, and I want to go into real life world examples of this, of an executive who, um, this was one of your clients, he's on the top of the world, uh, very, very successful. He was working 70 plus hours a week. He was traveling all over the place. And, but he was, um, you know, he had anxiety and depression, I believe, because he was away for his family. Maybe I'm mending two stories. I don't know. But on the, the cover of the book looked like, hey, I would want to be that guy. But on the inside, in his inner world, he was not a happy camper. Um, so maybe we can kind of transition into, because I know you also coach in, in addition to, you know, author and speaking. Can you talk about some of the real life world examples? And obviously, don't you don't have to use real names or real companies, but um, because you actually people actually hire you right to coach them, um, and you work with them over uh, maybe in person or via Skype to help them work through their issues to help them you know overcome those and and then perform at. Uh, you know, a CEO level or a top level within their organization. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, let me, let me back into what you brought up, which was, you know, just to close out the meditation topic, because it does transition in, you know, the, the observation of the self-talk, right? That's the point to take away from that for people is you come when you meditate and you breathe and you and and you just do that for one minute. You will come to the conclusion that you, you will notice the mind just going on and on and on, right? Whatever, positive, negative, and everything in between. The, the awareness, the in, the deep insight from that that you can that you can take away from that experience is you are not your thoughts, right? You, you the person, you inside that body, you are not those thoughts. Those thoughts are happening all the time. And you're not your thoughts. So the point being, you know, whatever is driving your thinking and those thoughts in that moment, you don't have to be that, whether it's positive, whether it's negative. And obviously, you know, there's a whole science behind self-talk and positive affirmations. That's great. But the real distinction is you're not your thoughts. So as that ties into, you know, things like depression and anxiety and panic attacks, and we can talk about these broadly because... Everybody experiences these things at different times in their lives, right? And this is what is what is all that stuff. And I'm not talking about psychotherapy and you know th things of that nature. I'm talking about day to day stress, fear, worries, and you know dealing with frustration, right? And dealing with uncertainty. And I, you know, in in top companies, you know, I've people coming up to me telling me, you know, I'm having panic attacks on the way into work or over the weekend, I'm, you know, panicking over the conference call nine o'clock Monday morning. And, and again, it's, it's not that anyone is mentally ill per se. It's just that the mind is, you know, neurotically going over these, these, these cycles and, and, and getting stuck in these grooves. 
there's a quick way to pull out of those grooves, you know, and, and, and we used one example. But another example is, you know, is, is again, having a coach. There's plenty of them out there. Obviously, I'm, I'm um, deliberately biased towards, you know, people in the behavioral science field because this is what we're trained to do, right? And, and, and being able to uh, precisely sort of pinpoint a blind spot, a weak spot, and help somebody see it for themselves, right? And then shift out of that very, very quickly. So we're not talking about, you know, 16 weeks of, 16 weeks of interactions. This is, you know, quick dose, pivot, and, and move forward, right? And a little bit of um, nurturing along the way. And it's really about noticing what are the triggers for these things? What's activating the stress? What's activating the, the, the worry? What's activating the fear, right? And, I, and uncovering the source of that. In, in most cases, right, and this goes back historically in, in psychology, it's, it's irrational, right? It, it's, think, it's worrying and thinking about something that could happen that you absolutely have no control over, right? right. So, so it's helping people find a way to have control over what they can, right, which is themselves, which is their, their, their present moment or their present circumstance. So when we break that down, what does that mean? That means... You know, A, is there something new you can learn? B, is there somebody that you can talk to that will give you feedback that will reassure you? C, is there something that you're missing, right, that somebody else can point out to you? Do you have a mentor, you know, that can guide you through this process, um, who can give you, you know, sage wisdom about how to tolerate this? Do you need professional help in some area, right? Are you suffering from a health problem? Are you, are you suffering from a relationship problem? I mean, I, I could go on for, for days about relationship problems and, you know, the distraction that that creates in the work environment, right? It's like an energy sapper. It seeps into the day and somebody who's in the middle of conflict in a dating relationship, in a marriage, in a family, you know, struggling with a child with special needs, you know, these are all common issues. Everybody has this stuff, right? But the, the, what's missing often is a solution for that, right? And a solution is a resource. And a resource could be information. A resource could be a professional. A resource could be a support group. And it's helping people connect with resources to alleviate those stress, fears, and pain points. Right. No, I think that's, um, you know, th that's, that's beneficial. I mean, I, I see it, you know, just from a personal example is I'll, I'll run over in my mind before an event happens, just all the scenarios that could play out. And it's, it's like you said, it's irrational. It's like that. And then after that meeting or that shoot or whatever, or that launch happens, it's like, oh, that's, that's what it was. It, it, it was, I was going through like worst, worst case scenarios. Like the 0.0001% of chance of probability of that happening, I'm running through it and causing me stress. And then the other thing too is I'll also, and this is, I think this is one of the hardest things is to, to quell that inner voice is you'll you'll have an interaction with someone and say it's like a, a boss or a client and then you replay that in your mind over and over and over again and then dissect it and now that I've learned to just release it because whatever happened it happened and then however I felt about it I honor that but then I just release it I'm not gonna I'm, it's not gonna 
if it negatively impacted me in the moment, then it just happened in the moment. I see what it is and then I release it. I'm not going to have it negative impact me for the next two weeks or the next four weeks, or the next four months. So it's, and that, and another thing is in meditation and, and breath, just breathing, just breathing through it, whether it be a difficult moment or whether it be a difficult workout. If you, if you, uh, breathe deeply, like you said, seven breaths. If you just breathe deeply, it's going to be all right. You're just going to feel immediately better. And I'm sure there's, um, um, there, I'm sure there's studies and research behind this that I'm unaware of, but I'm just doing it from a, a personal experience. Um, so let's, let's, uh, let's talk about the term beyonders, which you use in the book, which is these, these are the traits of kind of these, these people who are these top performers. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a, the foundation of that topic comes from a particular study that looked longitudinally over time, what makes people successful was sort of, you know, the, the broad brush question. And success was not just defined as fame or fortune. It was really about um, what we call today wellness, right, and work-life balance. And it's really not, you know, work-life balance, you know, sometimes gets a bad rap. But I, I think that that view is shifting. Like people are understanding, organizations are starting to understand and, and you know, the the, the innovative organizations are all, are already doing this. They're trend setting, you know, the Googles of the world, and then you know you have the laggards, which you know are still sort of rejecting this idea, like get back in your cubicle and put in your hours and punch your time card, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, that's not creating beyonders, you know, in in, in cubicles. Um, Lego scooters and you know places to take a nap are creating beyonders, you know, and and, and, and somewhat paradoxically, but if you think about it, you know. When people are in their, well, I'm going to throw out a buzzword, flow state, you know, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in a, your flow state? It means to be, you know, less distracted. It means to have sustained attention. It means to have persistence. It means to have curiosity. It means to be engaged in deep learning and deep thinking. And these are, you know, a lot of the traits of, of beyonders. You know, they... they have these leadership skills um, that I just described and companies that nurture those skills are producing and retaining top performers. There's, you know, an article coming out every single day. Um, I'm actually working with a company right now. And, you know, the question was, you know, we're losing a certain cohort of top managers, directors every year. It's costing us tons of money. Help us solve this problem. Okay. So, you know, one, one issue was that it was geogra geographically driven, but the real issue was this company had a core set of values. They had a mission statement where they value people, value people, value people. So I go and I interview the HR team, and one of the first questions that I ask the HR team is say, okay, which of you has a mentor, and tell me about your mentoring relationship, because that was one of the core values of people, professional and personal development. How many people raised their hand that they had a mentor? It, it, it was like being in confession in, in Catholic Church. <laughs> there was not a single one? Not a single one. 
Not a single one. And when you dove deeper into this, you know, I discovered another key finding uh, that I wrote up in an analysis for them was that, you know, they promised all kinds of leadership development and professional development opportunities and resources. And come to find out, you know, that was really only for the elite 3% of the company. Everybody else didn't have access to that. They didn't get to go to the, you know, the conference or the, or the retreat every year. They didn't get to go and have, you know, the motivational speaker come in. They didn't get special training in, you know, their particular skill. And this is, you know, this is exactly what was at, you know, the root of the problem. So they're, you know, sort of overhauling their, their thinking on, on those factors. But the point of this, like where, we're, where I want to bring this back to is people drive innovation, right? People right? People, companies drive innovation and you have to take care of your people. Your, your, your employee doesn't leave their personal self at the door when they come in and swipe, right? They're bringing in their life. They're bringing in everything that's happening in their life into the organization. And if you don't help them take care of that to the greatest extent possible, um, it, it's a liability. And you're also portraying yourself, you're representing yourself as an organization that says you don't matter or you, or, or you matter less or your personal problems don't matter. But guess what? Those personal problems, those stresses, those fears, those anxieties, those concerns, those expectations of the organization, when the person experiences that it doesn't matter, they leave, right? And then it's a bad fit. And then, you know, a company doesn't innovate. They don't uh, evolve. They don't develop top top leaders and top performers. So these are, you know, they call them soft skills, but these, you know, these are the skills that organizations need to be much keener on selecting and identifying, but also in nurturing and developing. You ask a, there was a great study on, on millennials, um, the millennial workforce, uh, I think it was in Harvard Business Review a couple of weeks ago that came out. You know, millennials will leave um, because uh, will leave with less pay as long as there's a company that shows that um, they feel appreciated, the company has a mission, they're engaged, their, their opinion counts even if you're in an entry or junior level position and you have an opportunity for professional growth and professional development. You know, this is the demand, you know, that's going to be that, that's present now with, with millennials and, and, and the forthcoming Gen Z. These are the expectations. Like you have to treat me not just as a professional, but also as a person um, with um, the, the, the resources and the deep appreciation for my contributions to your organization. That's where things are at and that's where things are, are staying. Yeah, and it, you know, it makes it's a very valid point. It makes sense for these organizations to provide that to people and to solve that problem because what will happen is people will leave, people will vote with their feet, and the amount of money that it costs and the amount of time to rehire and find the right people. For the, you know, and, it, and if this is happening at scale, it could be disastrous for the company, absolutely disastrous. I spoke with um, one of the co-founders of Basecamp. Are you familiar Are you with Basecamp? Basecamp? Oh, yeah, Jason Friedman, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so his co-founder, David Hansen, um, I spoke with him yesterday, and they're a, a brilliant case study on... Um, what you were just talking about is treating employees, um, you know, well, the way they should be treated. Now, their company, this is a 50-person company that's spread all around the globe, 
And he, you know, he, he believes that all organizations, you don't need an office and, and all that good stuff. But he'll, um, you know, they, they hire based on, not based on a resume, they hire based on work. They'll actually, you know, hire someone, bring them on, put them on a project and then see how they do. They also um, not only give their employees ample vacation, but they pay for vacation. They actually pay for the for the vacation. They pay for uh, full benefits, um, and one of his main things, and he just came out uh, with a book, is this. What you were alluding to is this deep learning or this deep work, which we're constantly inundated with emails, meetings, um, your cell phone, social. I mean, we could talk about social media for a week on this podcast. And we've done so in the past uh, ad nauseum. But those little micro interruptions, especially if you're in a, a creative field or a problem-solving field is or job, is like kryptonite. It, and, people, and that's why some people will get through the whole day and they've accomplished nothing because they've been putting out tiny fires or answering emails. And... I mean, in large organizations, it's it's rampant that people will CC everybody on email. So you're just your whole day could be consumed by just dealing with email, just dealing with your inbox and going to meetings, which is just you know it's just absolutely it's pure insanity. So and one of the things with David was was deep learning. They are they are um, adamant of you know pulling out all distractions so that they uh, employees can focus on a task for three to four hours and get into that, that deep flow state. So, um, you know, there's not a messaging app that's grabbing their attention. Um, and they can, you know, they can literally schedule out these chunks so that they can, uh, you know, they, they can succeed. Yeah, no, that's, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it's, it's difficult to, to make this transition. You know, we're, we're in a state of flux. You know, um, we're in a knowledge economy. You know, we've got technology doubling every 18 months, which creates immense velocity and pressure. You know, and in that whirlwind, you know, we, we, lose, we lose sort of the tacit routines and habits and practices to, to do these what, you know, we talked about earlier, these beyondering um, behaviors, these behandering orientations, these personal and professional development habits. And it's not to say that, you know, there's this template for, you know, Mr. and Ms. Perfect, right? But it, it's, it's a compass, right? And having this compass and, and having deliberate, actionable steps to go along with that moves people all along, you know? And, and, and again, you know, so people get a takeaway out of this. So just to, to follow up on your continuous learning piece. You know, one of the, one of the downloads that I have in the book, and if there's a way I want to, we can get it to other people quicker. That's fine too. You don't need to get the book to get this, but you can even write it down right now. But the point is, you know, pick a topic that you want to learn something more about. Just pick any topic, whatever it is, whatever you're curious about, and then pick different mediums to learn about that topic. Make a table. And on that table, you write down what's print media, okay, what's digital audio, what's digital video, and what's in person, right? Who can I speak with, like, and have a real conversation and learn something about this particular topic, right? 
and then, you know, fill in those blanks and then make that a curriculum for continuous learning, you know, over a set period of time. Okay. So it's self-paced and then present it. Okay. That closes the loop. So go back to your organization, whether go back to your people on your team, go back to, if you're part of a business group, if you do presentations at organizations, whatever it is, right. And then teach it. Right. And then that's, that's an example of something that someone can do to engage in this continuous learning process in a meaningful, productive, efficient way without it being overwhelming and with it being enjoyable and then moving someone along forward in their own career trajectory. And so now, Eric, what, do you, what are your thoughts about um, so uh, kind of the future? Uh, AI, you know, I've, I've read articles and I've spoken with people about how AI is, is slowly dismantling the workforce. Uh, so what's your feeling on that? I know you mentioned in the book that you, you go to some MIT conference, conferences. Um, so how, how do you think that's going to impact not only corporations, but uh, employees at those corporations? Yeah. You know, I think AI has its place right now. And as far as what's going to happen in the future, I'm not going to pretend to be able to predict that. But I think the place that AI has is it's going to help us organize all of these personality and psychological competencies, right, that help people do better. So it's going to, it has the ability to put some structure around all of this. So rather than, you know, interviewing on hunches and insights or maybe, you know, uh, an old industrial organizational tool that the company used for the last 25 years. I mean, look, I'm a psychologist. These tests have norms that are outdated. They're really not relevant to millennials. You know, they, they weren't custom fit for your particular company. You know, they have their place, right? But that's not, that's not the future. And that's really not even, even, even reality. So, where AI fits into this is that it's really going to give some organization, I think, you know, a, a nosology, you know, a, a, a categorical and dimensional way of understanding these psychological competencies and where people fall on them. You know, one on, on the organizational side, right, it's going to help an organization tap into these, right, and then it's going to help an organization then take that data set and understand who they're, who they're looking for, like who's their ideal client. Now, the machine is only as good as, you know, it's garbage in, garbage out, right? So the machine is only right. as good as, I always say, you know, the answer is only as good as the question asked, right? And, the, and what's behind the question is a person, not a machine. You know, and that's frankly, right. I think, you know, one of the, you know, unique um, assets that, that behavioral science brings to this, right? Knowing which questions to ask, right? Because if the question's two-faced valid, right? Tell me what your strengths are, right? People already have, they've got a script of answers for that, right? There's got to be some variability to that question that's not as face valid. AI can, can be helpful with that. But I think that that's, you know, that's sort of, you know, where we're going to end with AI, you know, really having, you know, a scorecard and, you know, giving sort of, um, what I'm going to call a baseline of, of metrics of these competencies and these talents and how to organize them and how to think about them. And then, you know, ultimately how to unify them in the hiring and retention process. And, you know, secondly, I think a great application for these would be building these into performance reviews, right? Because performance reviews don't typically 
tap into these all of these these soft skills. So identifying, you know, as an organization, what are the soft skills that matter, right? Um, so is it, you know, this person has um, great customer appreciation. They have great deep listening skills. This is a person who's an, an outstanding communicator, right? Shows the ability to bridge conversations with customers that builds trust, right? Those are the kinds of things that you want to build into performance reviews where AI will help organizations select those people and select people, um, select people's um, strengths and weaknesses on those in those performance, performance opportunities. Now, to close this out, at the end of the day, what, what we're really talking about, again, is people, personal development. So you can't have a machine do people appraisal. It's just not going to be accurate because people are dynamic. The person you were yesterday, the person you were one hour ago, is not the person you are right now in the present moment. Right. So, again, <clears throat> I think AI's limitations are it's going to be good at organizing data, right? the whole big data conversation. It'll be good at that. But it really won't be good at getting to know the person, really getting to know, you know the mattering piece. Right? And millennials are telling this. We want you to know what matters to us. Right? AI is not necessarily going to be able to extract that. The second thing that AI is not going to be able to extract is really the experience, like the story. Right, you're a story person, John, and you know you want to hear the story. Tell me about your biggest accomplishment and how you succeeded and overcame all of these obstacles. Right, that's not an AI question. That's a conversation between two people in an engaged and meaningful way. That's a story, and that's something that you know is going to continue to be really, really important down the road. And it gives a proof case. Right, it gives validation to that person's self appraisal of you know, their top talent qualities, right? You want the story to give evidence of that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's interesting because like, there, you know, you wouldn't have an AI podcast, right? You wouldn't have two computers having a conversation. And I think that that's what's so, um, so engaging about podcasts. You know, I obviously have a podcast you're listening to right now and I listen to a lot of podcasts and I think what's missing um, and the reason why it's so popular is that long form conversation. Like, you know, when, when is the, you know, like how often is it that you sit down and have a, a conversation on a topic like this with someone for an hour? It's, it's literally unheard of. People don't have the time. And, and that's, a, that's a deep connection that you have with another human being when you delve into these topics and you discuss them and you debate them. It's, um, you know, now it's, uh, the attention span of the average uh, person right now is probably like 0.03 seconds. You know, it's so quick and, you know, these, these podcasts allow for these longer form, uh, conversations. So, so now just going to, um, you know, setting goals, uh, your, your, uh, set, you know, your dream, you know, there are dream boards, their goals. And you alluded to the fact in the book that there, are, you can create a spreadsheet and, and set a task to a goal. Um, and also then talk about, um, I know that you do some, uh, you do mountaineering, you like going, you know, you know, outdoors and that kind of re recharges you. So pot, I mean, I'm assuming that that was a goal at one point for you to, climb Mount X or, you know, ice climb something, and then you achieve that goal. Can you talk, talk us through that process? Yeah. So, 
you know, for, for me, it's, you know, that's my creative space. That's my outdoor playground. Um, that's what, you know, really gets me charged up. And as I started off, you know, we started off this conversation, the outdoors for me is something that's always been a, you know, fabric of my life. Um, but again, it goes down to breaking down, breaking down goals, right? It's, it's, it's easy. It's fun. It's a fun activity. I love the, you know, the dream board activity. That's great. But really where people get stuck is they have the dream, they know where to start, and then there's everything in between, right? So it's the in-between part where people glitch out, right? We're our own worst enemies. We get in our own way, right? Life happens, things happen, we get distracted, you know, and this is where, you know, this, this whole concept of deliberate practice and writing things down, like journaling and make setting goals and writing on a table and having daily goal sheets, like, you know... It, it may sound a little bit ridiculous, but if you actually don't do it and set a month and say, okay, you know, how much closer did I get to my goal? And then the next month you do, you know, study B and you do your goal sheet every day and then you do an appraisal at the end of the month. I mean, you, you will find that you get closer to your goal and you move along much quicker with this structured methodology. So, you know, for me, you know, the, the outdoor space, you know, started with, you know, going out hiking around the White Mountains of New Hampshire um, which, by the way, I had a, a great lunch conversation yesterday, getting into, you know, to cross this over into conversation. So I had a, I had a business lunch yesterday, right? Classic business mm-hmm. lunch, go and meet with somebody, we're going to talk business, um, build sales and growth and all that kind of stuff. You know, but the, the substance of the conversation, which um, I deliberately did was, I always start, you know, after the, the niceties and the introductions, you know, what do you do for fun, right? Icebreaker. And it's, it's the most disarming question. Right, no matter what kind of engagement you're in, you know, what do you do for fun? And there's variations of that. You know, how did you spend your weekend? Right? What did you do last weekend? Right? Immediately, people are not going to say, "Oh, I was, um, you know, working on the problem at work from last." I mean, hopefully, they're not going to say that. Right? <laughs> or I, I was writing code, you know, to uh, close out this sale, or I was, you know, calling the customer. You know, no, they're going to say, "Oh, I, you know, I was with my kids, or I went skiing, or you know, I visited right. my family, or I cooked dinner." You get a notion for who this. Now you're like number one. You've disarmed the person. Number two, you actually get to know the person, right? And, you know, in businesses, you know, in business transactions, there's a transaction piece and then there's trust, right? And trust is really what you're trying to earn. And how do you earn that? You earn that by getting to know the other person and letting them get to know you. And in this lunch meeting, I had the great opportunity to ask that question and find out this person loved going up to the White Mountains, loved going skiing, I'm a snowboarder. You know, and we had a lot to talk about in common, and it was authentic, and it was trust building, mm-hmm. and it was fun. And he had stories, and I had stories, and I had some suggestions about checking out this restaurant or that store, and vice versa. Right? I didn't, of, of the 60 minutes we were together, you know, 10 minutes was on quote unquote business discussion, the rest was about en- engagement. And, um, you know, that was a very um, very successful meeting because trust was built out of that. So, you know, that's a little bit of a, you know, a digression from the, the mountaineering question, but going, you know, the, the way that I've, you know, incorporated some of these habits for myself in my own story and in what I'm going to call my play, right? My play is going out to the mountains and going mountaineering. And, you know, it started off small and doing things in the, in the White Mountains in New Hampshire 
and then going out there in the middle of the winter and, you know, facing um, mm-hmm. what's classically known, so you can Google this, um, you know, the, the worst weather on the planet um, has been recorded right. on the top of Mount Washington. And I can affirm... I, I, by, by the way, just to cut you off, I, I love the White Mountains and I've, I've hiked up Mount Washington in the summer and it's, it's still, the weather is just brutal. It's absolute. I've never gone. I've never gone in there the winter, right? Because they closed the road down, right? And you can only, you can only hike up. Yes, with snowshoes and a lot of very warm, uh, out there mountaineering attire. Absolutely. Jesus. One one year we were up there and um, we're setting up the tent. It's dark. It's blowing upside down snow. You know, it's like negative twenty five degrees with the wind chill oh. and. The tent pole snaps, right? It's aircraft. Oh. This is a four-season, you know, mountaineering tent, aircraft aluminum pole. It snaps. So now, oh, one, right? And, no. and it takes, it's taking three guys to hold the tent down from blowing away off the mountain, us followed by it. So lo and behold, you know, one of the, uh, one of the better planners, not myself on that trip, you know, had duct tape. So there's a plug for duct tape. Um, duct tape. So he whips out a little tiny roll of duct tape. We duct tape the pole together. It holds. We get the pole in, and we're able to get the tent up and spend the night and then go summit that day. And, you know, I've got some amazing video and uh, footage of that that event. I mean, duct, duct tape could have quite literally saved your life. Yeah. Because there's no if you're 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 screwed. I mean, I'm, this was at nighttime, right? Yeah. Yep. Headlamps. Yeah. You're, you're, you're screwed. You're, you're done. You're screwed. Yep. So it saved my life. There's a new. Um, there's a new slogan for duct tape. You know, it could save your life. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Anyway, sorry. I, I cut you off. But it's. Um, but it's I great. Agree. I mean, that for me, the teachable experience. Like right, extreme discomfort, extreme cold, right, extreme problem solving, right. So that experience for me, you know, I take back into you know the the quote unquote real world. And, you know, that's where, you know, I'll sit down and say for a minute, geez, you know, remember that winter up on Mount Washington where, you know, we practically had frozen to death, blown off the mountain, the tent pole broke, my fingers went numb and I had to bang out, you know, bang the blood back into the fingertips so I, I, I wouldn't get frostbite. You know, whatever I'm tackling today that isn't working out the way that I want to, it, it's, it's solvable, right? This, this too shall pass. Right. This, 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 this problem has a solution, and maybe I don't have it right now in this, in this moment, but, um, you know, go to the guy who's got the duct tape, right? And the duct tape being a metaphor for, you know, somebody who, who may have the solution, right? So that's how the outdoors in various scenarios of mountaineering and ice climbing and all kinds of fun stuff has it sharpened my problem solving, sharpened my own tolerance for frustration and discomfort and stress, and you know helped me breathe through some of these moments. Yeah, I think it can't be uh, you know underestimated the need for you know challenges, whether they be you know physical or mental challenges to overcome. Because I think that you know we. You know, as humans, we're we're built for that. We're not we're not built to um, just kind of ease into comfort. You know, we we want challenges. We we um, we crave challenges, and then we we want to overcome them. And when that feeling associated with that, like you literally almost died, and I'm sure it wasn't fun when you were there and you didn't know what was going to happen. But you most likely look back on that 
fondly. You know, it's a great story that you told. I I enjoyed that story. And you, but you almost probably died. You almost lost probably a couple fingers. But you overcame that. You overcame that physical challenge. It wasn't just a physical challenge. It was a mental challenge. And I think that, you know, the vast majority of people in today's society, um, especially, you know, in, you know, the first world nation, especially in the U.S., is... If, and this is, you know, if this is you have a good job and you have a good life, I mean, poor people have it a lot harder, but people get soft. There's, there's, a, there's a comfortability. I mean, we can, you can just get in your car, you get into a machine and drive to a McDonald's. And, you know, I'm not recommending that anyone eat McDonald's, just use it as a metaphor. But you can, you can, you know, food is at your discretion. You know, if you live in Manhattan, you could just press a button. Someone will bring you food. You don't have to get up. You could be endlessly entertained. But within all of that, you know, I, I think that, you know, that's what we're, we're missing. And that's what I glean from the book is these, you know, these challenges and persistence and consistency. And then this is the path to, you know, quote unquote success, right? I mean, you have to define your success yourself. Don't, don't let society or your family define it for you. But th- these are these are steps. And you know, uh, Eric, as we're uh, you know uh, ending this conversation, um, what if you if you could? This is going to be a tough one. If you could boil down this book or like nuggets of advice for our listeners that they should do today, like don't. Don't write it down. Don't, you know, say you're going to do it. But if they're listening right now in their car or in the office, if you're listening to this at work, that's pretty funny. Or you're listening at home. What, what, what are, what can they do? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's harder to do it than to say it. Um, but I, I, I think the, the distillation of all of this is, is actually, you know, really, really simple. It's, Get out a journal, open up your iPhone or your whatever, your, your, your smartphone, you know, start recording into it, okay, and just free associate. And what I mean by that is start talking about or writing about what is the number one objective, goal, interest, curiosity, fill in the blank, you know, that you want to work on learn more about, discover deeper in terms of personal development or professional development. Neither matter because they, they, they both have an impact, right? They both have a huge positive impact, okay? So you identify that. And it could be a list and you come back to it. So you don't have to have the answer in that moment. Then you go back, you figure out what that one thing is, and then you break it down and, and, and make a list of specific steps to accomplish that. Right, which could be maybe getting resources, getting information, signing up for something, saving money to go on a trip. Maybe you want to take a retreat. You know, who knows? Maybe you want to hire a coach. You know, maybe you want to learn a new skill like um, Japanese sword fighting. Maybe you want to learn how to play the guitar. Maybe you want to learn how to code. You know, maybe you want to be better at making friends or socializing with your coworkers. Maybe you want to stop having panic attacks. You know. Whatever it is, break it down, make an actionable step. Action is key. Action is where it's at. If there's no action, nothing changes, right? So what we're talking about is really how how do we change? How do we change for the better? 
is really, you know, the, the, the arch for today. There's a lot of information in the book about how to do that in various steps, but you can really just apply this formula to take action and seize your moment. Excellent, Eric. Well, all the, all the advice is in the book, so just get the book and take action. It sounds so simple, but it, it really, it's, you're right, it's easier said than done. It, it really is. Well, uh, everyone, thank you, for, uh, thank you for listening. Eric, thank you for uh, taking the time today to talk with myself and the listeners. You can find Eric's book on Amazon.com, The Psychology of Top Talent. And then, Eric, where can our listeners find you? Um, you have a website on social media. Yeah, they can swing by my website, toptalentpsychology.com, connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, I love to continue the conversation in a more personalized and constructive way with folks, so I welcome that. Okay, great. And Eric, thank you again. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of The Working Experience. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media and the Still Believe app the only app that delivers video proof of the Tooth Fairy and Santa by simply taking a picture. Download the app at stillbelieve.co today and amaze your kids. And if you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john, J-O-H-N, at onecirclemedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you again for listening to another episode of The Working Experience.